When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Thank you guys for joining us at Product Coffee today. We're joined by a very special guest, Mr. Paul Jackson. He comes from us from the UK. Great uh, product leader in the space, a CPTO, I believe is the title. That's correct. I'd, yeah. I'd love to drill into that as well, because that's very interesting and top of mind for me. Um, and then, you know, we have a lot of different topics to kind of drill into, but at the core root of it, what we're going to be discussing today is really practical best practices in product management, right? Like how we learn from all of these best practices and fundamentals that uh, we read in books, that uh, we go, you know, various different webinars and schooling and blog posts and actually use that in the day-to-day. And it's going to look different for everyone, but we're going to break that down. So Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a real privilege to be here. Yeah. Um, I, I'm also joined with my colleague, David. Uh, so David, thank you again for making the time. Um, let, let's kick this off. I think, you know, why don't we give a little bit more background, Paul, on yourself? Like just do like a snort, uh, a, snort a short snippet. Uh, um, so we give our listeners the, the full picture of who we're chatting with. Sure. Uh, my name's Paul. Uh, I've been in product for over 10 years and working in and around software for 20 uh, I started my career in product in, in big company product management uh, in what what I guess in the US you know as News Corporation, in, in the UK, News UK, so media. And then I was uh, moved over to Dow Jones in New York for a number of years, managing products for you know big established brands. I then uh, transitioned into the venture space and worked at the opposite end of the spectrum, working and building v1 products for super early stage founders and you know really focusing on that zero to one step of you know great idea and then uh you know evolving it into a tangible product and i spent a number of years doing that for various startups and then inevitably gone and you know caught the bug and founded my own startup level uh, a couple of years ago which is what i'm doing now uh, and it is a UK fintech, a paytech startup based in London. Love it. Um, so, so let's maybe we can break this down. I, I love kind of hearing your journey uh, uh, to where you're at because I think a lot of product managers aspire to one day start their own venture as well um, mm-hmm. with the skills that they gain through the job. Um, but tell me about your journey gaining these skills because there's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of on the job experience that you've gained, but it, you know, if there are ever particular times where you've taken a theme or a learning that has been shared widely via blog post or a a book or like a lean startup, for example, and actually tried that out or applied that to your situation. Sure. So when I started in product lean, 
uh, lean startup was very much the big deal, uh, hugely influenced by everything that Eric Ries and all of the, you know, the movement put in place. This was about 2009. So really the height of that uh, philosophy, the idea of uh, the MVP, uh, building something small, testing it in the market and then iterating on it was absolutely standard. Uh, and, you know, the embrace of agile as a kind of development and engineering philosophy came together, you know, to create, you know, what is really all I, you know, all I had experienced in product to uh, at that moment. Um, I guess product strategy then became a, a big area of interest to me. And for a number of years, I wrote quite a lot of blog posts and had my own newsletter about product strategy. And that was partly because I didn't see a lot of other authors and product people writing in that space. So I wanted to try and talk to issues that I wasn't seeing, you know, had been too well covered, but also because, you know, I'm interested, I'm a fairly, you know, kind of heterogeneous person in that I'm interested in lots of, you know, all, all aspects of the environment that we as product people work in. So I was interested in how, you know, the big picture stuff and the small picture stuff could be kind of brought together. And uh, so I didn't... So where, where did you start with that? Like, is, is it something that you truly found on the job or was it something that you learned what product strategy was and, you know, from a resource and kind of applied it to your situation? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think I, I learned it on the job and I was in, you know, a number of product roles where I was expected to articulate and present and define a product strategy and there weren't a lot of resources to go on in in the kind of tech space uh, at that time and so you know i reached out into other spaces particularly obviously resources coming from the consultancy world where you know they major on strategy and then trying to take some of those ideas and apply them into the into the product space at that time at least in my situation product was very engineering driven so it was very much defined by you know, uh, the, the, the technical folks. And there wasn't a lot of strategic thought. It was very much focused on uh, the technology. So what I was trying to do is bring the kind of broader, more far-sighted thinking uh, to a, what at the time was a very technical context. Uh, and often, you know, the two didn't really reconcile very, very well at all. You know, there was very little interest in it initially. Uh, and it was, you know, all of the problems were seen as technical problems rather than problems that could be solved through uh, broader or more abstract thinking. And I still think it's a really interesting debate within product. And in fact, it's one of the themes that, you know, we wanted to get into today. What role does strategy play uh, and when is it useful and when is it not useful? And I've become quite interested in this concept of anti-strategy recently, particularly uh, having worked in startups. So, um, you know, it, it's been a, it's been a journey uh, of, you know, for me as somebody that was very much a advocate of strategy for many years, but now I've come to question its relevance in, in certain product contexts. Oh, great. That's a great um, look back, Paul. And uh, I, I just want to bounce off that uh, thought or that progression a little bit. So you've been in product, uh, you said about 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, you, you 
focus focus has changed uh, along the line. Uh, I was just wondering if you could go back in time to your first product role, to yourself in your first product role. Do you have any piece of advice or pieces of advice that you would give to you back then to, to help make your work better? Yeah, it's another great question. Um, I think I think it very much depends on the background that one is entering product from. One of the most exciting and interesting things about product is that people come into it as a, as a discipline from many, many different backgrounds. There's no standard trajectory or journey or pathway into it. People come in from engineering, they come in from business analysis, they come in from design, they come in from UX, uh, they come in from all, all, all angles. And so the advice, I guess, is contextual to the background. But I, I, I've always felt that the heart of product and the heart of good product development is, is a focus on the nexus between where technology and engineering meets real people, you know, and that the, I've always said that I work at the interface of technology and, and human beings. Uh, that's something that Steve Jobs used to talk about a lot. He was a big influence on me in the early days of my career because he was very much the kind of archetype of the product focused or the product obsessed CEO. And I think it's always important to just understand that that's the role that you play. There's been many moments in the last 10 years in tech, uh, and I, you know you still hear it now, where uh, particularly with AI, there's this notion that you know the technology is going to become the thing and it's going to take over, and ultimately, you know, machines will take on roles you know that are similar to humans. But I've always felt that technology is a an enabler of us as yeah. people, and uh, that's never going to change, or at least I'm never going to work in an environment where that's not ultimately the focus. And so understanding you know, that your role is to optimize and create technology that you know, makes people's lives better is, 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 is really the focus. And all, everything else is yeah. detail. Everything else is detail. I love that. That's very interesting. Yeah. Like when I first got into product, I, I, I kind of like got so excited about the uh, opportunity that what you could do. And so I immediately thought of automation and, you know, I was more in a, a, a coming from a technical role. So I was like, how can I automate my role that I just came from? <laughs> and so I was just thinking more of just automation and not, and, and, you know, just diving in without even thinking about that in more uh, high level context or that, that, so I love that, that point of uh, perspective there it, to, to kind of pull the through line. So, you know, you're basically saying, coming into technology, don't lose sight of that, right? Like coming, coming into this kind of a role, don't lose sight that, you know, we're at the end of the day, we're servicing, we're building product for people and, yeah. and technology enables us to do that. And good product work brings all this together and tells that story and then, and, and pulls that through line. So when, when, and I want to kind of bounce up again, but you, we were touching on the product strategy, like how does this fit all into it? And, and you kind of, you touched on this anti-strategy. I want to pull, I, I want to mm. kind of dive into that a little bit. So what, what does that mean to you? Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So again, just to reiterate, uh, I come from a background of, you know, really being a, a big advocate for product strategy, writing a lot about it, uh, being part of those discussions and talking about, you know, the importance and the, the methodology around it. In the last couple of years as a product person at a super early stage startup, 
I've kind of reluctantly come to the conclusion that I don't really have a strategy. And I don't know if there is a role for strategy uh, at this stage, because the needs and the circumstances of a very early stage product are really about that existential crisis. And it's about just building something that works and that people want to use. And it really is no more complicated than that because that itself is, is very hard. You know, we all have more technology and more options in our lives than we can ever, you know, truly embrace. And the default for every startup is that no one cares and no one's interested and nobody's going to develop any kind of affiliation or habit with your product. And breaking through that so that you can actually change people's habits and they can bring your product into into their lives is hugely hugely challenging but it's not it it's not the outcome of some developed or considered strategy it is literally just the outcome of trying to build an idea listening to the feedback and then iterating very fast and what i mean by anti strategy and this is by no means something that i came up with it's already an established kind of piece of thinking is that overthinking the need for strategy and trying to apply it in a context where really it, it, it's as simple as just build some stuff and see if it works and then just keep refining it in, until you get there um, is causing a lot of people to you know waste a lot of time uh, to uh, try and do things or evolve products that they really shouldn't. And in many ways, it's, it's kind of overcomplicating something this should be very simple. If we look at the products, if I look at the products that we all have been using for many years, you know, the Twitters, the LinkedIn's, the Instagrams, even the WhatsApps, have they really changed in, in terms of how you use them? You know, it's really that when you can create something that delivers value, the worst thing you can do is, is mess around with it or try and change it. <laughs> yeah. And all of these products have tried to add so many new peripheral oh, features. Oh, yeah. That they lose sight of that true value. Almost none of them have, yeah. have worked. And for me, the essence of anti-strategy is the honesty to avoid the tendency to try and add to stuff unnecessarily. And the problem with a lot of mm. product development methodologies, and obviously, if you're in a bigger company, you're obliged to maybe every year or every quarter present, you know, product strategy to the company. And the worst thing, you can't really go into those sessions and go, you know, we're not going to do anything, right? We're, we're just going to leave it. <laughs> Which I've and, done that, by the way. Yeah. And, and that's great. It's great if you can. But... I tried not to have a plan one time and it completely yeah. flopped in my face. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's the, the, the pressure, the emphasis and the expectation yeah. is that you should always be adding, moving forward. I completely agree with you, and though. Like that totally makes sense focus. with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it's you're losing the human element of that, of, of what you just mentioned, right? I think that it kind of ties a nice uh, story together as well as I, all of this stuff, you're kind of like, this is just humans building things. And it, it's we are not computers, I think is the most important things. We can't put a specific equation into the machine and expect a specific output, even though we try, we try, we try, right? Like we put these 
books and frameworks together because it worked for us in our situation and we want to help other people apply the same. So you can't just pull that off the shelf, plug it into the computer and expect the same output because you're a different operator. You have different circumstances um, and there's a different situation. And so I think there are some useful things you can pull out of those fundamentals and basics and understanding, especially if you don't even know where to start. But to your point, coming into a um, startup, when you really have an established product market fit or had that value prop that you're discussing, it's really just like, you know, that you, you're trying a lot of things out yeah, and you're seeing right? Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. like look at the numbers and then just double down. And, you know, that's, that's the best you can do. Uh, and the fact that it looks simple, you know, can often be the hard part because there's a tendency to try and look sophisticated and, do presentations with these very complicated strategies. But the reality is that that, that, is, that is not, you know, the right way to go. I, I also have come to, come to the conclusion that strategy is necessary when what you did before that worked stops working. So it's a response to something changing, and that could be a macro change in the environment or in the market or in the technical landscape. So if something's working in your business, you know, in your product, just leave it alone because that's, that's a beautiful thing and that's magic. When strategy starts to become important is when all of a sudden that changes and it's not working anymore and you suddenly need to innovate out of it. You know, the kind of the Kodak moment or the blockbuster moment where all of a sudden the business that you thought you had you know, is challenged. And so that to me is when strategy comes into play. But as you say, in the early days when you're at a startup or even a scale up, you know, it's just about getting something to work and then sticking with it and being able to deploy it to more people without the whole thing falling over. I'm still kind of taking all that in because it's a, I would say, sort of a, a radical approach to what most uh, uh, product managers have learned. But no, I, I totally get your point. Uh, uh, and I totally see see, see where um, all of this helps the, the startup. And I was just thinking, okay, so when a new company is being started and you're in charge of products uh, for that, there is a lot of leeway to, to adapt strategy as you go on or adapt, you know, your thinking. But when you start looking for funding or start uh, finding uh, venture capitalists or, you know, people to put their own money, and this is not just for, uh, uh, it doesn't matter if it's a startup or you're working for a CEO, there's starting to be a board of directors. Now, those guys are starting to ask that, hey, we want to see your one-year plan, your two-year plan, five-year plan. How do you plan to get there? And, of course, they they want you to stick to that. If you are planning to change, then you have to involve them. And I'm just wondering, how do you, when you start getting to that level, how do you then manage those relationships and make those guys know that, hey, the best way forward is what we're doing right now. We don't exactly, we are not tied to one strategy. We're just uh, trying to make sure we can adapt as we go. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I'm not going to pretend that there's an easy answer because that's exactly the problem. There's an expectation that you are showing constant development and constant new thinking. And I guess my point or my uh, suggestion is that that's actually at odds with good product development, which is about keeping things simple and not changing. Um, 
again, I don't have an easy answer, but it would be along the lines of, uh, in you know, just demonstrating that if something works, then success to a VC or an investor is that you can take that and apply that in many, many other markets. And so that in it, that that's what we like to show at level. Um, and it's about showing that, hey, we, we're onto something here that we think is resonating with the market. And we believe that we can reproduce that in more markets or many other different markets. And that can So yeah, focus. in that moment you're you're we're not gonna change, we're just gonna we know, we're gonna expand the scale. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. that. And in many ways, yeah. you know, the, the less sophisticated investors, if I can call them that, that that's all they wanna know. You know, it's yeah. like have you solved the problem for ten people or have you solved the problem for, you know, half a billion people? Because yeah. if it's if it's the latter, then you know I'm in. It's interesting because I I just actually uh, chatted with another product leader about this, but um, we we presented at our kickoff week for the annual review, and we have our board of directors meeting this week, and we communicated the product vision, and it was a narrative statement. It was three paragraphs, and it was just you know we're going to do this by doing this and this. Um, the funny thing, and I asked for feedback after this, I, I got a survey and I had uh, unsl- you know, the, the feedback from the individuals and, and three of the people, um, their response was, you know, what did you learn? What the question was, the prompt was, what did you learn from the presentation? What did you take away? Um, the, the key takeaway and learning for these individuals were I knew exactly what the product and engineering team was doing this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because you didn't show a Gantt chart; you just communicated what, how we're, you know, what direction we're going in. So, I think in that case, like the board of directors, they just want to know that you have a good idea of where you want to go. And yeah. and I think you know, again, treat them as a stakeholder. They're not really like a decision maker. They are funding things, but at the same time, you're not there to service them. You're there to service the customer. So, if you put that vision into that human language and that customer language and you tell them where you're going, you can, you can dive deep into methodologies and like how we develop uh, experiments and how we learn from them and adapt if they're curious, but yeah. I don't think they are they're, They really no. just want to know where you're going. Right? Yeah. And do you know where you're going? That's exactly yeah, right. Exactly. Right. That, that itself is very powerful and, you know, is, is, is easy, easily overlooked. I think in a lot of, a lot of companies that, you know, clarity of vision and purpose, um, and the, you know, a recognition that everybody else is on board with that is itself a huge advantage because That's not everybody is. Yeah. yeah. So, so I would love to ask you about this, Paul, to, to drill into that. So you've presented to boards, you do this frequently, like what do you see resonates with your board of directors or the, you know, varying different boards that you've presented around? Like what, what really resonates or hits home or how do you communicate this in a way that it's not a Gantt chart, right? that yeah. they're not commitments and yeah. It's a good question. I mean, there's, there's a number of fundamentals that um, my experience indicates that people, people just want to see. And one of, one of them is um, I guess passion and a vision that may be unrealistic, but at least indicates to people that you above all people uh really think you're going to make a you know make a huge difference and change the world or to quote steve jobs put a dent in the universe so you know 
Nobody wants to invest in someone that doesn't really believe in themselves or in the in the company mission. So first of all, and this is sort of at, at odds with how you'd think investors approach a business. They want to see someone with real passion and belief and commitment to what the you know what the vision is or what the value proposition is of the company because obviously they know that it's very hard to build a business so you're going to need that kind of motivation and that energy but also they know that nobody's going to follow someone that doesn't exude that sense of passion and motivation and vision and so i think one of the most overlooked things is that whilst numbers and a very clear kind of commercial or you know robust plan are useful everybody knows that startups you know have very high risks of failure and that really it's the people that are prepared to just be incredibly tenacious and almost will themselves into existence are going to be the ones that carry you know are, are more likely to break through put it that way so you know in a big company and again this sort of talks to the theme that we you know we we sort of wrapped around this whole session which is the you know the kind of counterfactuals of product in a big company it's all about being very rational and self-contained and self-controlled and you know presenting things in a very unemotional way um that's the kind of big code boardroom uh, attitude um, but in a small company, so boring. Office, yeah, exactly. So boring, so <laughs> yeah. cold, unemotional. Yeah. Uh, but in, in a startup, the opposite is true. They want people that are, you yeah. know, in, insanely, naively ambitious, mm-hmm. and they take that over Love that. Uh, capability, or you know, maybe a seventy thirty split any day of the week because you can buy in the you know the operational and technical capability, but you can't buy in the passion and the vision and the commitment. And mm. so again, that's, that, that's, what's different. What works, you know, at a multinational is very different from what's going to work at a startup. And I think, again, mm. to go back to our theme, you know, the advice you give to the CPO of Netflix is not just different from the advice you give to a product person at a startup, but is often completely the opposite. And I think the, <laughs> The theme I wanted to convey is that all product people starting out should always factor in their circumstances and their context right. when listening to advice, as you say, reading the fundamentals, uh, listening to what constitutes best practice. It's it's not just slightly influenced by circumstance, it's totally influenced by it and is often completely, completely the opposite. I'm curious about that. I'd love to drill just a layer deeper. Maybe this gets a little more existential, but to your point, a CPO at like a Netflix or a larger, you know, a Facebook, a Google versus a startup CEO or yeah, a CPO or CP, CEO, um, you're saying that the, they, their advice is different, right? Basically, and, and maybe I maybe I misunderstood this, but what you're saying is that a CPO at a larger company might not need that um, enthusiasm or or mm. passion or rigor, and it should be more cold in, in structured and calculated. I would kind of want to challenge that because should it be? I don't know. Like I, I would, I, I mean, it's just so boring to me, right? And mm. I, I do think that 
you know, they lose sight of that when they're just, they're, they're optimizing towards dollars and as a board and, and this, you know, yeah. you're optimizing towards um, a system and process as opposed to optimizing for innovation or something exciting. Like it, it if you don't have that. Yeah. At that level. Like, I, I don't know. I, I agree with you that it is different because they are looking for like, you got to know your, your, your shit, you know, you, you need to know <laughs> exactly what you're doing. But like, at the same point, like, does that force of showing competency remove the the playfulness and the excitement mm-hmm. and passion, right? It, it should never remove the passion. I, I totally agree. And I would never uh, advise anyone to, you know, take the passion out. I think what, I'm, what I've seen, and I guess what I'm saying is that that balance changes quite significantly as you go from, you know, the very yeah. early stage to the, to the enterprise scale and that you know boards of directors at large public companies want to see measured um very rational competence over naive enthusiasm any day of the week and at a startup at a startup the uh the balance is is shifted in the other way they don't want somebody that's totally incompetent and therefore not capable of running a company Mm. but they really need to see that kind of passion and, and kind of enthusiasm. And I guess to some extent, you know, the, the polarities could be exemplified by the difference between Steve Jobs and Tim Cook. I'm always fascinated yeah. by that kind of axis. I mean, you couldn't really get two people more different, I think, than mm-hmm. Steve Jobs and Tim Cook. But Steve Jobs was obviously the right person for Apple in the early days, and it was controversial when... Tim Cook took over, but he's proved to be absolutely the right person uh, for Apple since then. And, you know, he wasn't and isn't a product guy. He's not a kind of naive visionary, but he's an ops ninja. And that's what Apple needed. So, again, you know, it's complex. People are complex and no, nobody is one thing. But I think that is probably the best example I can give of, of the difference between the two. You know, startups want people like Steve Jobs, but, you know, big co's need people like Tim Cook. So uh, personally, myself, I've worked with a large company uh, before switching to a startup and the differences couldn't be more stark as you, as you pointed out. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, do you, do you have any advice for a, an already established product leader coming from a, let's say manufacturing company where the processes are even much more defined and they want to go to a tech startup, uh, how, how, how best should they navigate that change? Understanding exactly what the environment is at a startup, and more importantly, who the people are that you're going to be involved with is, is absolutely key. So again, you know, the unexpected realities of working in product that, that I've encountered as, as a, as a, product person at a very early stage startup is that obviously startups by definition are very small companies. So you spend huge amounts of time with the same people, sometimes the same one or two people, your co-founder and, you know, those first hires constitute constitute all of your working life for sometimes years, uh, which is very different from a large company where it's a lot more diverse and you should really Think as much as you can about whether or not this is somebody that you can work with uh, and form a 
constructive working relationship with and whether or not this is someone that you could really see yourself spending you know 80 plus hours of your week with um day in day out uh because unlike at a bigger company where if you you know if you, if you don't really get on with someone it's kind of mixed up with with yeah. lots of other people it's more like a marriage and you know you're all in and it, you know i think a lot of startups uh in fact i'm pretty sure it's still the consistent reason why a lot of startups fail is that the co-founders fall out with each other because they didn't really know each other when they went into business and then they realized that they don't like each other or don't get on or inevitably bump up against each other and they 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 can't kind of work their way through it. So I would say that, you know, think through who you're going to be working with and just be honest. I mean, not everybody can get on with everyone. Different types and personality and characteristics um, are, are inevitable. And, you know, some people just don't work well together. And I think you also need to be honest about what kind of person you are. And I would kind of hedge my bets and say most product people are, um, optimists by nature they're creative by nature they are they look at the positive in the main rather than the negative because they they're builders and my experience particularly working with financial professionals and obviously as a fintech startup that's who i you know who i'm working with they're they're pretty much the opposite they're natural skeptics and they're not enthusiastic and they're not optimists because you know if you're managing a fund you're constantly thinking about what's going to go wrong and you know you you don't buy into the hype because you're trained to be skeptical about what you're told and so the challenge i've found is working with people who don't have the kind of positive optimistic creative outlook i do and you know that's not always been uh that's not always been easy uh, so, so that'd be one. The, the second one is, you know, don't underestimate just what working in a company with absolutely no process and no support structure is like. Most people have never done it. And so they take, you know, quite a lot of things for granted. You don't, processes are fascinating. I'm not a process person, but processes are, an invisib- are invisible until you work in an environment where there aren't any and you suddenly <laughs> realize you know, what they, what they were all about and what they were giving you. And to go from a established company where everything just works to a company where nothing works, unless you happen to make it happen, or, you know, unless you stand it up yourself is a lot more unsettling than I think a lot of people realize. And although startups are, you know, seen as, kind of desirable and, and pretty cool at the moment, then they're, they're not for everyone. And you just need to be honest that, you know, whether or not working in an environment with a huge amount of risk and the inevitable possibility that you could be out of a job and out of an income yeah. at any moment, you know, not, not even six months, two or three months. And there's absolutely no support structure or even people to clean the office, you know, you've got to do all of that yourself. Um, and there's most of the time, at least, you know, for me, not a lot of money to go around at the beginning for stuff. You know, is that, yeah, you that's not scrappy. for everyone. You know, it's just, it, it's not for everyone. And there's no good or bad yeah. in that. It's just a, you know, it, it's just based on your own personal preferences. Does that kind yeah, of resonate? Yeah, it does. Very. 
very in fact mm. it, it's yeah it speaks to a lot of what i found out myself uh, yeah what did you, you find know, most challenging then when you kind of moved into startups what was the bit that you missed the most or that you hadn't oh, quite expected it was definitely the processes okay yeah yeah even though they were a bit stifling at the uh manufacturing company i used to work but there were times i i just thought that oh how do we do this and they're like oh no just figure that out I'm like well you we <laughs> kind of have a way to do it back yeah. where i used to work yeah yeah i think a lot of what a lot of people don't realize is just how chaotic most startups are on the inside in fact i i've talked to uh you know people from what we think are very big companies, but they're still private companies. And they still say it's absolute chaos. Like from the outside, it looks shiny and very, very efficient. But, you know, inside, it's still very, very chaotic and all kinds of stuff that, you know, you, you just wouldn't believe happens, happens. Like, you know, people don't, they forget to re-register the URL, so the whole website or the web app just suddenly <laughs> shuts down. I've been down. a part of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that, that's We're not like got a, out of a joke. About from that, under, yeah. that happens all the time. Right? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, that's some, funny, some yeah. of the outages that, you know, happened recently, I think AWS had a huge oh, yeah. outage recently, didn't it, that pulled down half the tech yeah. companies in the world. Mm-hmm. And it, it was based on someone putting in a faulty password or something somewhere. And it's just, <laughs> I, I forget what it was, but it was, it was quite frightening just how mundane the reason was. And then half, you know, half the internet companies on the planet fell over as a result. Well, that, that to me is a great illustration of what startup life, life is like. It's all very, very finely balanced. And, you know, chaos is, is always just a, you know, kind of a moment away. Right. Yeah, I feel yeah. like jumping from the size of companies too, where you you get more structure in place and then go back to the startup life. It's just this kind of like, oh, wait, we don't have a process for that? Oh, you mean I have to do that? Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Yeah, yeah exactly. but I think the adaptability to your point, uh, Paul, is that, you know, being highly adaptable, learning how to improvise uh, based on the inputs and situation and current uh, situation you're in at any time, right? Yeah. And enjoying that, you know, enjoying yeah, and then, that. Yeah, that thriving kind of in that. Rapid yeah, exactly. response. Yeah. Some people yeah, like, yeah. they like things planned out and they're like, yeah. this is how we do stuff. And if you're in the professions, like, I don't know, law or medicine, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're kind of aligning around a very established way way of working, which yes. is great, right? We don't want to have a heart transplant with somebody that's kind of making it up as they go along. We want to feel it's part <laughs> of a very established process, but the startup is at the opposite end and you are literally making it up as you go along. And if you, you know, yeah. some people enjoy that and, and mm-hmm. some people are terrified by that. I, I can speak to that too, because um, just for me, for an example, for the last year um, chasing startups, I, I this is my fourth company in the last mm-hmm. year. So just to illustrate <laughs> the uh, the volatility <laughs> of that yes. venture and the uncertainty, but but it, it yes. is a deliberate choice you want to make. And there's different reasons. Like for me, I don't like being bored. I, that's exciting to me. Those opportunities, it's just, it is a bit of a swing, but in, mm-hmm. in just to, to put this out, there i have family i have kids yes um you know and, and um i have a wife and we have a house we have a mortgage we have debt and so that i i still have all of those things and that it you know it is still top of mind for me mm. uh, but um i think especially with this stage of um um product management um growth mm. that every company recognizes the opportunity to hire smart and good product 
teams mm. and product leadership, this is the time to go and experiment. Really, if you're a product leader like this, I mean, there's so much opportunity. And if yeah, if one falls down, you can quickly go to the next. And the the job market's there, you know. Yeah. And, and again, going virtual, like every you know, I can get a job in the UK, and mm. it's okay, right? Yeah. I mean, there's there might be an hour change, but <laughs> you have to deal with. But um, but again, like that, I think now's the time. If that stuff excites you to experiment and find that right mix of people to work with, which you mentioned, yeah. Paul, and situation, right? And, and, yeah. and product that you're passionate about and excited in that space that that really intrigues you, right? Yeah. I, and risk appetite is, is absolutely a key yes. theme. And it's something that, you know, I personally, you know, when I grew up, I wasn't taught much about risk appetite. It's something that I kind of learned into. Uh, it's something I try and teach my kids because risk is such a huge part of life, but it's not something, at least in the UK, that we're formally taught about. Um, and you know, you're absolutely right. It's, uh, what is your risk appetite? Can you, uh, cope in an environment where, as you say, you've got a mortgage and you're supporting a family. Um, and you know that, it, you know, you could be out of a job in six weeks and there's right. no, there's no, um, mm-hmm. guaranteed career progression or salary increase or, or whatever. The whole thing could just blow up overnight and you know it's a trade-off no one i wouldn't say anyone likes that but we take the positives of the agency and the excitement and the thrill and the creativity of working in a startup and you know absorb the risk that you know it might be pretty short-lived yeah, yeah, it's the, uh, to bounce off a bit of that, and I've been at um, I've been in some startups where things have been exactly like that, where people have lost their jobs or things have changed a lot uh, as we go on, and some people were no longer comfortable or no longer the right fit. Um, of course, not everyone goes into a startup thinking that okay, I'm going to lose my job in three months or the startup is going to go down. Mm-hmm. So, if, if you were going to uh, uh, advice anyone or if you're going yourself to join a startup what 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 kind of things would you look out for to kind of determine that okay this startup is worth me investing my time and joining them yeah yeah it's interesting you mean if if i i was a potential employee of a startup what what advice would i give you have to evaluate what the value proposition is and again uh, I think one of the themes that we wanted to get into is this notion of product instinct or just, you know, trusting your instinct over complicated plans and strategy. At the end of the day, if this is a startup that is working on something or trying to create something that resonates, that you can believe in, that you can see how it's going to add value, that's really important. Uh, don't ever join a company that seems to be doing something that you don't understand. Now, I'm fairly unsophisticated, uh, and I know that these, you know, Web three startups and these crypto startups dominate the investment landscape. It's the same in the UK as I'm, as I know it is in the US. Yeah, H- half of them I, I I don't understand. Right, I just I don't understand, and I would never. I'm not Shining saying object syndrome. <laughs> I, well, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to it's make a, a judgment on them because I'm just sure. saying that I could, I could never join a startup that did something that I just, that you don't I didn't, resonate I didn't understand. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. use your judgment, use your instinct. Right. If it resonates and you can genuinely see how, it, if it was successful, you know, it, it's, it, it's clearly going to solve a problem. Mm. Then 
you know, that's a, that's a great start. Obviously, the people are fundamental uh, to uh, the appeal or the, the likelihood that it's, it's going to work out for you. Are these people that you can see yourself working with? Uh, basic things like, you know, do they have good manners? Are they polite? Are they humble? Uh, I still think these things are very, very important in the Agreed. workplace. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, is it – I'm also very – kind of role focused and you know I've always been careful because I've had opportunities in my career where I could have taken roles that that weren't just about product like a kind of mm. general manager role and things like mm. that and I've always yeah. very I've always very deliberately stuck with the with the product roles because I wanted to be able to show a clear product progression in my career because I I think of myself ultimately as a as a product person that's the that's my trade that's my craft and I know if, you know, something blows up like anything could, I can always go back to the market and say, hey, I work in product and I've got a good resume and, you know, find a role. So, you know, always think about, is this a company that's giving you an opportunity to develop the role that you can see yourself in? Right. Because, you know, you have to think through this company, maybe you'll work there for 10 years, but maybe you'll work there for three months. And, you know, are they is that still going to be a step in the right direction? And if they're offering you a role that is, is the role that, or the career path that you want to be on, then, you know, that's great. But if it's a role with a different title that you don't really quite understand what it is and isn't exactly what you wanted, I'd always be skeptical about that because I think, you know, careers develop obviously over many, many years, if not decades, and you could very easily take a wrong turning somewhere and then it's hard to get back. I love that. You know, we're wrapping up here, Paul. One thing we like to do before we end um, is to kind of assign homework to our listeners, like something practically that they can take from this conversation and apply it to the week that they're listening to this podcast. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll go around the horn here. I'll start, I'll hand it off to David and then we'll, we'll end with you. Well, give and me a few minutes here, to think of, think of yeah, my think of <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. And, then, um, and then also just, uh, um, we'd love to leave some time for plugs and, and where people can find Paul's work and, um, connect. Um, so, so my homework specifically for our listeners from this conversation, a lot of good takeaways here. Um, I, in, in this might, I, I'm balancing on how practical to make this, but give yourself a break, right? Like that, mm-hmm. that, that, uh, don't treat the day to day and your job like a computer where you put all these inputs in based on, you know, the books you read, the courses you take, and expect an outcome and make sure that it's not working or you know, understand it's not working and then try to adjust, like give yourself a break there and, and really challenge yourself to think about who the human or customer or person that you're servicing is and, and how your work directly ties to that. Um, so, so it's more of a thought exercise, but, but take some time, think about that, even document it. Like if, if it's not clear and it might not be clear, but like write it down and get answers. Like who are you building for and and why does it matter to them? I think gets you out of that, um, day-to-day tacticalness of the, just the, the plug into the equation, uh, ness of this. But, uh, um, so that would be my thought exercise. Uh, David, what do you have for us? Yeah. So, uh, Paul mentioned a lot about, um, reading your environment and uh, factoring in your circumstances. And uh, I just want to, uh, uh, I find it interesting that a lot of people actually make that their, it's not their primary, the primary thing they do. It kind of comes secondarily. And I just want to 
uh, ask you, the listeners, to just take a step back and, and look at your current role. Uh, you can also look at previous roles too. What do you enjoy? What do you uh, what do you like about the people you work with, the product you work with? What resonates with you? Does it really challenge you? Does it? Uh, are you passionate about it? And do that. Uh, probably write it down as well, and you'll probably get some insights that will help you uh, tell you where to focus your energy, bring out the best in you, and the best uh, in people you are working with. That's great. I mean, I, I, I would probably extend what what you just suggested, David. Uh, I think the point that you know, I'd like to convey is just, uh, you know, success in life is all about adaptation and it's about constant adaptation. And so there's no such thing as best practice that lasts forever or is applicable to absolutely everyone. There's always a situational and contextual view that you as an individual have to take and you need to understand um, what your own situation is uh, and then, uh, you know, Take the recommendations and the advice and the, the the skills that are relevant to you at your, you know, in your particular position. Uh, there's no one size fits all uh, formula for product success. There's only uh, the right set of skills and methodologies for your own situation. And never ever uh, forget the importance of adapting what you've been told to to what you're doing. And evolving it, because that's how we got to where we are. People took the old stuff and they changed it because it didn't quite work for them and they created something new. And that's a constant process. And it is probably the most important thing in product that, you know, I've experienced. Love that. Um, well, well, thank you again, Paul, so much for coming um, uh, on the podcast, on thank the show you. and sharing some, some great insight with our listeners. Um, where, where can our listeners find you? Well, um, from a you know product perspective, uh, I blog and I'm on Twitter at Pivot Services, which is my uh, you know product company. Uh, I'm on Medium. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I try and share and communicate uh, with the community, uh, you know, the good stuff and contribute to the community. So uh, you can find me there. My Startup is only in the UK at the moment, so uh, Level is not a, unfortunately yet, a product that you know your colleagues in the US will be able to access. Although I hope they will soon. So I would suggest looking up Pivot Services on Medium and Twitter if you want to know a bit of a little bit more about where I'm coming from. Great, awesome. Um, yeah, all right. Well, it looks like we finished up our coffee, so um, go level up. This has been Product Coffee, produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover, and who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.